I'm up early, though. All right, so this is our Bible Institute evening. In case you don't know, we have a Bible Institute. We had 762 students as of this morning uh, all over the world, and we have put together 110 courses, and that's growing all the time. It's all free. You can earn an associate's degree or bachelor's degree just by signing up, registering, and doing the coursework. And also, we are uh, using now Wednesday nights and our weekend services as new courses. So if you're coming and you would like to take them for credit, all you got to do is go online, answer a couple of questions, do a little extra reading, and all these will apply to credit. So in effect, I think we'll knock out five courses a year doing that. Uh, if you came here for four years and paid attention, you could get an associate's degree. That's a pretty good deal, right? Huh? Yeah. No, no, if they start and go four more years. But you can pick up other courses and you can knock them out as quickly as you want. Lots of really good courses on there that came from all over. Great selection of courses with lots of different, um, uh, from lots of different groups. So that's all available to you. Take advantage if you would. And uh, I think it's a pretty good thing. So we are doing uh, this, this course. We just started this course. I called it the Epistles of Paul. And we're looking at the letters that Paul wrote, the epistles to the churches. In effect, there's 13 of them that we'll be covering in this uh, period of time. We'll probably do, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks we'll do yet, but uh, it'll be, be enough to be a course. And um, Romans is what we're looking at now. Romans is just filled with doctrine. It's a great sort of book to read as far as understanding the church and the things that are going on. So there's a lot of terms that come up. And so we'll be dealing with some of those terms today and what those look like, terms that you should know as a believer. You all have heard some of them here on the weekend. Some I don't use very often, but there's a few today that you'll hear me use all the time because I think they're very important for us to know as believers. But today, first thing we're going to talk about is atonement because that will come up in our readings during Romans. Atonement is the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Uh, a good way to remember atonement is at one meant. And uh, he's making us at one with him. So, uh, and it comes up, but it's not a word that we use a lot, atonement. But it does have um, some uh, ways of understanding it back into the Old Testament that I thought we would look at. So I'm pretty sure in your notes, I have uh, Leviticus 23 listed, 27 and 28. The Day of Atonement is perhaps the most important of all of the um, feasts that the people of Israel celebrate. The uh, tenth day, it says, of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day because it is the day of atonement when, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. So this is a significant day. Um, to the people of Israel, and uh, it is to this day, uh, it's also known as Yom Kippur, and you will see it celebrated uh, significantly, and, and Jewish people tend to take it very seriously, and no work is done, and it, there's a 25-hour fast that goes along with it, and they spend most of that time in a synagogue uh, and, and going to those sort of meetings. But in the Old Testament, um, it was, like I said, the, the most solemn of the seven feasts. We've spent a lot of time here talking about the seven feasts of Israel, um, but, but atonement was the most solemn one. It was the one, if they were going to miss any of the feasts, it wouldn't be this one. Because if they missed this one at any point in time, they were out. 
That's how significant it was. You went. You did this one. And, uh, and back in the Old Testament, uh, the high priest at the time was to perform very elaborate rituals to atone for the sins of the people. This would happen once a year. And, and once a year, the high priest would go in, and there was a, a, a very significant ritual that the high priest would follow. Uh, and, and there was, a, before he would enter the tabernacle, he, he had to bathe in a specific way. He had to wear special garments. Um, he would have to sacrifice a bull as a sin offering for himself and his family. Before he went in, the, the blood of the bull was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And then Aaron would bring, well, back when Aaron started it, but the high priest, whoever it was after that, would bring two goats, one to be sacrificed because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. And, uh, and then on the other one um, was used as a scapegoat. Pretty interesting thing. Aaron would place, the, the high priest would place their hands on the head of that one, confess over it the rebellion and wickedness of the Israelites, and then send the goat out into the desert. Um, he would go with someone who would release it into the wilderness. And that goat, in effect, carried all of it, all the sins of the people, which were then forgiven for another year. So this happened every year throughout history until Jesus came. And then when Jesus came, he made the ultimate sacrifice, and he doesn't need to, it doesn't need to happen any longer. He did it once and for all. The Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 7. So there's some significant things for us to see in there, though, just so we understand it and uh, what it looks like. Um, part of it was the elaborate washing that took place for us now um, in Christ. We have been washed like that. Um, we are clean. We, we stand before God. We'll talk about that um, in the perfection of his son. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, uh, but he came and he made the once and for all sacrifice that we needed for the cleansing of our sin. And uh, back then, the blood of the bull and the goats only lasted for a year. It was done year after year after year. But Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all the sins for whoever believed in him. And, uh, you know, when he significant on the cross when he made the statement it is finished uh sometimes people think oh he's talking about his life or whatever in effect he's saying it's completed i have fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled every prophetic word that's taken place every part of the law is now fulfilled in me i have done everything that needed to happen so that everybody else can have life it is finished in the word the greek is testalei and it means that like stamp paid in full uh, so it's very significant when he says that. So, so he has made everything happen in the process. No further sacrifice would ever be needed and because uh, of what he did at the cross. Hebrews 10, you can see that that's true there. Also, the two goats are very cool. Uh, and um, so the, the blood of the first goat that was shed was sprinkled on the ark, uh, which uh, appeased the wrath of God for another year. Do you remember last week if you were here, I talked for a moment about propitiation and we talked about god there's a wrath of god and and a lot of times people don't want to deal with that side of it but the propitiation word pops up and what that does it is that jesus appeased the wrath of god and it's two two sort of things also made us a way to be reconciled to god and so that happened in the process and and so the that first goat was a picture of that that it appeased the wrath of god which is very cool the, the second goat was a picture of how Jesus takes away our sin, 
how he removes our sin. You know, Scripture says our sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. Symbolically, that's what was happening with that second goat, and it happens to us in Jesus. And we, we talk about that, that um, God now sees us in the perfection of his son. You know the word for that. We're going to get to that in just a moment, so I'm not going to rush it. Another thing, as you're reading Romans, you're going you're gonna to read about the glory of God. And sometimes I think people wonder, well, what is that? What's the glory of God? It's the beauty of his spirit. Uh, it's, it's not an aesthetic beauty or a material beauty, but it's, it's the beauty that emanates from his character, from, from all that he is. That's what they're talking about with the glory of God. Now, I was alluding to this next term a couple of times in the past because it's all tied into this idea of atonement. And that's the idea of justification. Now, if you're here on the weekends, you hear me fairly often talk about justification. Because there's three things. All these other words you might get sort of scattered around, but there's three that I want you to know. And so I bring them up all the time. They're related to our salvation. And remember, I I tell you our salvation, we need to understand salvation in this way. It's this tension thing involved there. We are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. Because the word has the tension in it. And so we're not used to looking at that things. But in that concept are three terms that you should know. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And Paul's going to talk about these ideas a lot. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe, there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Just a pause there. Redemption. How many of you were here this last weekend? When I say redemption, what are you supposed to think about? Book in the Bible. Ruth. Okay, well, that didn't go very well. <laughs> For the tape, anybody watching, they all got that right. Okay. I don't come back to me now. Now remember, Ruth, go watch that sermon. Yeah, I know. You don't need to be know-it-alls, just be know-it-a-littles. Be wrong. I don't really care. Okay, so... God presented him, Jesus, verse 25, as a sacrifice of atonement, at one minute, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, uh, forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those, those who have faith in Jesus. This coming weekend, just as a little foreshadowing, so you can be ready. We'll talk a little bit about balancing or the tension of grace and holiness. Because he got his both. He's filled with grace, but he's also holy. And we have to understand that there's both, not either or. We tend to get in one spectrum or the other where we get this grace. Well, you can do whatever you feel like. And that's certainly not the understanding of your grace. Or we get very rigid. and Well, this is holiness. And, and it's a it's a tension between the two and that that most of these things have tension behind them so this idea of justification remember is is this when we come to know jesus when we give our lives to jesus we're justified just as if we'd never sinned 
That's how you remember that term. Just as if you'd never sinned. Because what happens is God then sees you in the perfection of his son. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You couldn't do any of those things. And, and the, the reality is you, you know that you are far from perfect. But God is seeing you that way already. And, and in that process, you're reconciled to him. He's seeing you in the perfection of his son. It's an amazing deal. But Paul will talk a lot about justification and being justified and what it means. And you need to know that. And that happens when you give your life to Christ. Until then, it's not it doesn't how it works. So you come, you give your life to Christ. And so we, we talk about that a lot. He declares us righteous at that point, even though we know we're not. He justifies it. Romans 5, 18 and 19 sums it up pretty good. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass, which is back in the fall, right, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all people. So remember, oftentimes Paul will talk about the first Adam and the second Adam, and the second Adam is Jesus. Remember I said he's correcting all of that mess? That's why it's so important we don't just toss out the Old Testament. Because the, the thread of redemption that happens from Genesis 3.15 to the cross is an amazing story. And we're, we're picking it up. I'm going back to the Old Testament for a little story this week. I'm not going to tell you what. But it's really good. You should be here this weekend. So um, because, you know, when you see how God has worked these things together, and remember I said this last weekend, how he takes our story and weaves it into his story, and how God is so faithful at taking complete broken messes and turning them into something else i love that see that's redemption and the, and the, the whole book is this redemptive thread that's happening because all of us have turned our backs on god and gone our own way and and there's no way back we can't earn our way back we can't work our way back we'll never be good enough to get back there's no way back and he made one way back and that's in christ and when we come to Christ and we ask him to be our Lord and our Savior and we, we, we ask him to forgive us our sins, he does those things. And at that point in time, we're justified by faith. And, and God chooses to see us then in the perfection of his son. And it's because of that justification that then the peace of God can rule in our lives. Um, it's because of that justification that we can rest in the fact that we're in relationship with him now and forever. And it triggers something else in us, which is very important. And so the next part that I always talk about where we're being saved, anybody know that word? Sanctification. I'm just tossing it out there. You don't got, I'm getting nothing. I'm getting no feedback. Okay, here we go. Online, they're watching me and they all have the answers. I'm sure of it. So you, you come to Christ and you, you ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And he does. And then... An amazing thing happens at that point in time is that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. That's a, it's an amazing deal. And what begins then is the process of sanctification. So we are saved, we're justified, and we're being saved uh, in the process. We have that justification happening, and now sanctification, sanctification begins to take place in our lives. And it's God's will for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should go through this process. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. Um, it's related to the word saint. So, uh, and that has to do with, with holiness. Sanctify means to set apart something for special use. Uh, uh, it's to sanctify a person to, to make them holy. Uh, now, the reality is we know that in ourselves we're not that, 
But what he's doing is he's moving us in that direction. And throughout the course of our lives, he's doing that. And, and so because we're being saved, sanctified, set apart, believe it or not, we're already the saints of God. And so we could, in effect, run around and call each other saint so-and-so, but it would be weird. <laughs> right? Because, yeah, so we're not going to do that. But you could because why? Well, because we're justified and God's seeing us already in the perfection of his son and the Holy Spirit lives in us. I don't think we often um, allow the enormity of that to just sort of flood us. Because every now and again it should. Every now and again you should just sort of stop everything you're doing and, and be in complete awe that the Holy Spirit dwells in you as a believer. It's, it's, it should be awe-inspiring. I, I think it's probably so much so that we, we can't, we have to kind of balance it out a little bit. But every now and again, you should just stop what you're doing and be completely overwhelmed at the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you, leads you, guides you, works with you, um, is, is working with you all the time, um, that we're, we're still yielding to him and we choose, to, he doesn't overwhelm us, but we choose to allow him to work in us and he's doing these things in us in the process. In, uh, Jesus says in John 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I don't think that made your notes. But um, we're being sanctified. Now, positionally, and because he's seeing us in the perfection of his son, um, we're already seen as, as holy. We're positionally holy, free from every sin by the blood of Jesus. But... Because we know we still get off track, right? Um, This idea of sanctification is ongoing. So he's at work in us. That's why it's not like, okay, so in effect you can say you are sanctified, but the reality is you're being sanctified. Because you are justified, you're being sanctified. This sanctification continues throughout the course of your life. It's part of the journey of your life. You you don't achieve... um, total sanctification until Jesus comes back, and we'll talk about that, or we go to be with him in a moment. But he wants to work that process all the way through. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, So this idea... Is, is important for us to understand. And we get stuck in it sometimes. So we're, we are justified, but we, we're in the process of being sanctified. So we're a work in progress. As a believer, you should see change happening in your life. At the same time, here's the cool thing. So because we're justified already uh, and, and we're a work in progress, it allows us to understand how desperately we still need the grace of mercy in God every day because we haven't arrived yet. But... It also keeps us in a place that, that we no longer need to allow the enemy to use guilt and shame against us. That's, those are two of his favorite tricks. If the enemy can keep you all built up in guilt and shame, you, the, this process gets really slowed down of change and you get stuck. And, and we can be overwhelmed with that, the, the guilt, like the unworthiness of it all, just, you know, the mess of it all, especially... Um, when we, when we do things that we, we know we shouldn't do and we're in process. And, you know, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a battle. Uh, and, 
And we have to keep yielding to the Spirit, and we have to keep turning to God. You know, the, one of the ideas about confession, and people go, oh, well, that just means I, I go and I say I'm sorry. Uh, and that's really not confession. Um, when we are continually messing up, sinning, whatever you want the word there to be, um, and we get ourselves stuck, when we go to confess our sin to God, we're not going to say, oh, I'm sorry, God, that's not the issue. What we do is we go, and, and the word, the, it's a neat word, confess, in the Greek. Uh, it's homo logeo. It's two words, which, which means, you know, it's um, your, your word, same word, in effect, is what it means. And, and what it, we're saying is, God, you're right, and I'm not. You're right, and I'm wrong. Your way was right. My way is wrong. I want to do it your way. And that's when he goes and he says, absolutely. And, you know, he loves us. You, you know, you always have to remember, too, that, that you go as his child forgiven and seen as justified when you go. Uh, and you always have to know this, that he's always going to forgive you. That's what he does. If you ever thought that he wouldn't, you wouldn't go. But he always will. No matter how bad you've messed up, always go. He'll always forgive. And he'll always say, okay, now go and do the next right thing. Here you go. Fill with the Spirit. And you go. And at some point, you, you start to have some breakthroughs. Uh, and I hope you see that. I know in the course of my life now, uh, and been walking with the Lord 34 years, um, things have changed. I'm not stuck in the same place as I used to be stuck. Um, and I, I always tell you this. I'd love to tell you that I've got nothing else to work on, but it, pff, it's constant. It's, ooh, ooh, aha, not again. And it's, uh, I, I, I think what happens is I'm a little, maybe a little more aware of things now than I was and, and I, I hopefully don't fight as hard as I used to against some of it because I know that he's good and that I trust him. But I still got stuff. I can still, I told you this in a sermon the other day, that, that old eye, remember I said there's an old eye and a new eye? That old eye, gets, he gets poked every now and again. And you wouldn't like him. You've probably seen him from time to time, but he's not very nice. <laughs> and mostly now I learn not to say what he thinks. <laughs> I save it for myself. If you see me smile a little bit, it was because it was really good. <laughs> Pushed it down. But you get it. I'm a, but the, I, I get that I'm a work in progress, so I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm, a, I'm still a mess. I'm, you know, I've got a lot of issues like everybody else. And, and so, but that's okay because with God, I'm justified. I've asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. We're good. I'm still a mess, but I'm yielding to the Spirit, and He's working in me, and He's been working in me. He will continue to work in me until something happens, and that has another name. Anybody remember what that one is? Glorification. Very good. Thank you. I got lots of people responding to that one because it was the only choice left. So, <laughs> glorification, such a cool thing. To, to, to be glorified. So what is glorification happens at the end of sanctification. When is the end of sanctification? When you're with Jesus. So either Jesus has come and he's called us all up, however that's going to work out, or we've died and we're with Jesus. We're glorified. At that point, we're, we're done. We're good. We're restored. We're back. There's none of this mess left anymore. And, and it's in the process of being straightened out. And that's what God's going to do. Remember... See, you know, when God created everything, right? He created the heavens and the earth. You ever read that? So he created the heavens and the earth, and there was this perfect thing happening. And then when sin came, it blew that apart. 
And Jesus has made a way for that to come back together. But when you read about what happens in the future, heaven's coming down to earth. You ever read that? Go read Revelation 21. There's a redoing of this whole thing. And, and everything, because everybody goes, well, it's going to be like, this is, this is back to the way it was supposed to be. And we're back restored. Having chosen to go on our way, God has made a way back for us. All that receive are, are back. And then we, we get to go from there, whatever that looks like. But uh, there's been this, this journey in the process where we required to be um, straightened out. Second Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory far outweighs them all. That's the idea of glorification. It's an eternal thing that's happening in our lives. Romans 5.2, those, uh, those whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, and that's what's taking place in that process. So glorification is what awaits us at the end of sanctification, which starts when we are justified, which happens when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And at that point, we're at one with him. That's the atonement. And um, all of that is wrapped up in the idea of redemption. So that's a whole lot of biblical terms. But you can handle that. You guys are sharp. So uh, that's what those things mean. When you're reading through Romans, you're going to see those words pop up a lot. Atonement, justification, redemption, sanctification, glory. And now you, you should be sort of settled in what they mean as you read so that it will add some depth to, to your understanding. Remember, as you read all these things, always ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to see. Illuminated reading. Get with that. Just say, what do you need to see? What do I need to see, Holy Spirit? And he's very good about popping those things out. And I think that will be very helpful. And uh, that's enough. For today, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching, and we're going to end it right there.